Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. is it going everyone we are back with another episode this one completely fan generated or fan inspired just the fans wanted it so now we're doing it tara vangian himself yeah we got basically an avalanche of comments after our last episode saying that everyone would love to hear an episode about tara vangian and the diagram so here we are to give the fans what they wanted i was surprised that we hadn't already podcasted about it we went deep into teravangian and the diagram in one of our Oathbringer episodes but it was only a small chunk of that episode right and we tried to like dive in real quick and then get right back out but this whole episode we are looking at mr t dr t the big t however you want to nickname teravangian and his diagram. Let's kind of just go right from the beginning, Brooke. What's our quick synopsis of Teravangian? Teravangian begins as the king of Carbranth and quickly expands his title to include Yakaved. And we're first really introduced to Teravangian through the eyes of Yasna and Shalon uh, when they are visiting Carbaranth and the interaction that we see of Teravangian is kind of a uh, maybe older and not as brutal yeah, dictator. He's like a kindly grandfatherly man is yeah, the way he, he's described. He set up all of these hospitals to aid like the nearby war that he was like trying to keep his people out of, but they had the all of the medical teams and like Kind of had uh, sounded like, you know, battlefield nurses and stations set up, uh, which was... Well, I think Carbranth is just the center of, like, medical learning. Knowledge, yeah. Yeah, like the school that Kaladin's dad wants to send him to. Yeah, is in Carbranth. That's just kind of the the trade of the town, so to speak. Plus, they have the gigantic library where Yasna and Shalon spend a lot of their time. So it's like this place of learning and kindness while they give this medical care to everybody. Yeah, and Teravangian seems, like, pretty cool. I mean, he, like, wants to help his family member, like his niece or something that gets trapped Yeah, his early granddaughter. On. Yeah, and um, the kind of development of Teravangian over the three stories that we have so far is incredible. If you think about it, I am literally just realizing this. He is very similar to Odium in the fact that they both have these like elderly, like kindly grandfather appearances. And then you look a little bit deeper and then they're sinister. Yeah, that's kind of mimicking that royal mystique. Um, But but also... also unassuming exactly like Have, someone you wouldn't suspect of being who they dangerous. are dangerous yeah, yeah exactly i think that there is such a development and this is what i said last episode but the idea of like brandon sanderson as a mystery writer who instead decided to write fantasy uh tara vangian is a great character that is just shrouded in mystery we only get bits and pieces of his story 
We get a lot more in Oathbringer. Of course, until yeah. Oathbringer. But like the first two books, he is the fascinating part that you just want more of, that you yeah. cannot get enough of. Like, whoa, oh my God, this like, interlude wait, with Taravangian. You can't like, just drop this little, you know, three-page thing and then go away. What? Like, I need to know what's happening with this dude. Yeah, and Brandon sitting there, just like the mastermind above it all, just like, yes, yes. In time. <laughs> and we see that, of course, by the end of Oathbringer, he is maybe like our central figure of badness uh, I mean, we don't have Sadius anymore. We don't have uh, characters that are, you know, like the Parshendi in the first. You don't have opposing yeah. characters. And unless Zeth we... is more yeah. empathetic now. Exactly. So Teravangian is kind of the stand-in for Odium. So, But like we were talking about last time, I think he is painted in a very 3D way so that, you know... I, I think it's hard to just say like, oh, he's an evil person because he truly believes that he is like doing the right thing. Let's take us from that beginning to that end piece by piece and kind of pull out the most interesting things that we found about Teravangian through these three episodes and then kind of, you know, hypothesize randomly about what could happen in the future. <laughs> Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. So one of his defining characteristics, as I was just saying, is he's he's really driven by trying to do the right thing, not just for himself, not just for his people, but for all of humanity. So he has this very like grandiose um, mission to save humanity, and yet his way of approaching that idea is very practical and detached, um, and I think a great... Thing to illustrate this is his description of how to decide. Um, so he like proposes this parable sort of that if you are unsure which three out of four men are guilty of murder. So there's one person who's innocent and you have to d- figure out which person that is. The best thing that you can do is to kill all of them, even the innocent one. So that you are 100% sure that there will not be any murder in the future. It is a character that kind of tries to, I think, present a very utilitarian mentality or philosophy on to life. Even his acts of seeming kindness, like, for example, the creation of this big medical industry is more about finding people who are on the verge of death and are capable no, of having he kills them well that's that's what i'm i'm getting to it is that the whole medical industry is just kind of pushing towards the discovery of these death rattles and he will even kill people who are you know just on the edges of society and kind of like not necessarily yeah. sick uh, or deathly ill. Just but like just... no one will miss them. Exactly. He just brings them in and drains away their blood so that they just slowly die. It's so gruesome. And in those 
long deaths that these people have. They occasionally have the death rattles, which is, we now know by Oathbringer, most likely one of the un... Or, not even most likely, but it is is one of the unmade that um, is geographically based. It moves around, and so it was centered on Carbranth, and by the end of Oathbringer, we know... It's not there anymore. Yeah, we think it's in the the hills of the Horn Eater Peaks, or, or near that area. So we have... Teravangian who can seemingly give forward this false identity or this uh, false portrayal because he has a very utilitarian philosophy and it's all about saving some segment of the human species like his his field of vision is so tight and so focused on that one goal that's his goal save as many people as he can and the means in which he goes to accomplish that is crazy. Yeah, and we, we're going to get a little bit deeper into the diagram in a little bit. But a great quote from the diagram to illustrate this principle and probably where this whole philosophy of Teravangians is coming from comes from, which I love, the catechism of the back of a flowered painting. <laughs> and it goes, question. For what essential must we strive? Answer. The essential of preservation, to shelter a seed of humanity through the coming storm. Question. What cost must we bear? Answer. The cost is irrelevant. Mankind must survive. Our burden is that of the species, and all other considerations are but dust by comparison. Now, there are many characters throughout uh, different forms of literature or movies and plays that have played with this idea of extreme utilitarianism as a driving philosophy. And basically, you know, we could probably argue that any war situation in human history is probably someone who was feeling a little too utilitarian because they just make that argument of what must be done, anything what is like the cost the cost achieve. is yeah. irrelevant it's just survival it's the most kind of primal urge uh that we see throughout all forms of life and just like what does it cost it doesn't matter just survive fight um even if you know that leaves you crippled and wounded it's just like you have to survive and yeah. so i think what is interesting about teravangian is how we were slowly dripped the information about him until eventually we have so much unveiled and shown in Oathbringer. And now we know that Teravangian is going to just be key moving forward. So when you are going to look back at these five books in the first Stormlight Archive series, we're going to have this brilliant burn into a character that is one of the most interesting uh, versions of this kind of utilitarianism philosophy. Teravangian also, he kind of has this idea that he will be the martyr, essentially, for humanity, that like he is committing all of these terrible acts so that, you know, her- humanity can survive, that he is like taking on this burden of evil doings, let's say, you know, for a greater purpose. And I think a a good quote to illustrate this, he says, Someone must bear the responsibility, 
Someone must be dragged down by it, ruined by it. Someone must stain their souls so others may live. Society offers us up to trudge through dirty waters so that others may be clean. Now, most recently, or most famously, I think there's a little bit of Taravangian in the Marvel villain Thanos. Totally. I mean, this is exactly kind of Thanos's philosophy as he portrayed it in Infinity War is that like, I'm the only one willing to make these hard decisions. Um, and that hard decision was like resources versus population growth. Yeah. Um, and the idea that like there's no other option. Yes. Like another quote from Teravangian, he said, eventually you will execute someone who does not deserve it. This is the burden that society must carry in exchange for order. So like this idea that there is, you know, no buts about it. At some point, someone who doesn't deserve it is going to die. So like why even worry about it essentially? Like that is a permanent eventuality. It's part of the equation, right? Right, yeah. And so... Teravangian's mentality or philosophy drives him to a couple of things. And I think one of the most important is his decision to go to the Night Watcher. Well, okay, that's interesting, though, because do you think that that drive caused him to go to the Night Watcher? Or did all of this come after he saw the Night Watcher? No, because I believe what he asked specifically of the Night Watcher allows us to have enough detail about his original motivations before mm. the Night Watcher slash cultivation yeah, gets involved. Yeah, I guess that's true. So he he visits the Night Watcher, and specifically what he asks for is the capacity to save humankind. And he didn't like ask for the ability to save all life on Rashar. Like it's right. all spe very specific. Specific to humans. Yeah, the capacity to save humankind. And we are, of course, led to believe that the Night Watcher is the only being that he interacted with there. Uh, you know, that's the way it's portrayed. But of course, I think what eventually happens to Teravangian, what is happening to Teravangian we should probably think that like Dalinar and likely like Lyft, Teravangian had a run-in with cultivation. It's an interesting theory. I don't know if we can say for sure, but it's certainly something to think about the possibility that, you know, because the Night Watcher and Cultivation are so shrouded in mystery. Like, it's not like they have a picture of what the Night Watcher looks like before they go, right? Where they would be like, oh, actually, that wasn't the Night Watcher that I saw. You go, you encounter some, you know, mystical being. Who's to say if it was really the Night Watcher? Or could it have been Cultivation, who's like, I think we've talked about on this podcast before, kind of building this, like, shadow army, like, strategically placing agents of Cultivation in certain places with certain powers um, to prepare or like help in the way that she can. I think that the concept, of course, that cultivation has been playing in the background the entire time makes sense for cultivation and also makes sense of like, you know, 
where is this other shard on Rashar while everything's going terrible? It's well, like if the I answer think... is she's like, I'm working, <laughs> then <laughs> I, I, I believe that kind of will all make it make sense. If it's literally just like cultivation was just like chilling in the background, just growing. What, like that's, growing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just not. Just like plants. Yeah, just like, you know, whatever. Just Her and Wendell, yeah. Wendell just hanging we out like, garden. we're gardening. There are chairs. <laughs> I believe that what we saw of Dalinar's story is going to be mimicked with other characters. They went to go see the Night Watcher with some idea in mind. You know, Dal- Dalinar needs his to be removed from that ultimate pain. Lift, still kind of question mark exactly what she asked of the Night Watcher, but had something to do with like remaining the same age mentally or she might have thought physically, not growing old, Peter Pan type of thing going on. Uh, but we don't know the words that were used. And then... I believe Teravangian goes and asks the Night Watcher, I need the capacity to save humankind. And then just like we saw with Dalinar, Cultivation stepped in and was like, hey, my girl, I'm going to take this one. <laughs> like, this is a shadow piece that I need. Um, and she stepped into that moment because what is the actual blessing or curse that we believe uh, Teravangian has been bestowed by either the Night Watcher or Cultivation? So, yeah, it's kind of hard to parse it into those two buckets of, like, one blessing, one curse. I guess you could say that the blessing would be that he gets both great intelligence and great compassion. So, like, those are the two things that he needs to save humankind, let's say. Yeah. And then the curse part of it is the inverse relationship that those two qualities are given, where... The smarter he is, the less compassionate he is, and the more compassionate he is, the less smart he is. So he can never really have those two things at the same time, like, in balance. So he technically has the capacity to save humankind, but also not really. He has the capacity, but not the ability to really be specific about those words. Like, he has the capacity to save humankind but he can't do it and this is where i think the idea of cultivation and also just the idea of spren bonding with humans kind of comes from what do we know about from kaladin and uh, sill's relationship the idea is that a person has to be broken a little Mm -hmm. bit so that the spren can come in and somehow bond with their spirit web I think cultivation has basically kind of done something like that to Teravangian where she has given him the capacity, but in an inverse relationship, he is broken in some way. And Hmm. then she can maneuver her way uh, much like a spren would uh, to to affect Teravangian's path. Because that inverse relationship of intelligence and compassion makes Teravangian one of the kind of most interesting and sympathetic characters because he's not the same version of himself every time we see him. We don't know which, which one he's going to get. super interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so there are days slash paragraphs or chapters or interludes in the book where Teravangian is a pretty normal, him like as normal as he feels. He is just yeah. kind of like... Like average intelligence, average compassion. Yeah, and on those days, like he makes a lot of 
beneficial decisions for his kingdom. Like he's allowed to rule and like he does establish like the the medical industry and like that does have benefits even yeah. though it's got creepy <laughs> yeah. undertones. Uh, but like he makes a lot of beneficial decisions uh, on his just like average days and then we flash to other days when he is completely addled when he has no ability to speak or can yeah, barely he says form he just sentences. Like sits in a corner like drooling essentially. Yeah. And th- I mean he describes it multiple ways but like being entombed in his own flesh mm. just like sitting out or looking out through the eyes but like incapable Having, of like, doing anything. Yeah, no comprehension. Oh, just like devastating. Actually reminds me of the parchment descriptions of being enslaved. Mm, yeah. Um and that I think also he talks about um Maybe when he is not as stupid as that, but on days when he has greater compassion, he just like cries all the time and is just overwhelmed by, you know, anything horrible happening in the world and just has this incredible like emotional response that also renders him unable to be, you know, a just and practical king. But of course, the days that we are probably most intrigued by, but maybe should not be most intrigued by. <laughs> Speak for we'll Yeah, exactly. We'll get we'll get to that in a second. But the days that are always filled with amazing things are Teravangian's genius, hyper genius, like ultimate genius level. Well, there's only one of those days of the ultimate genius level. Yeah. yeah, but like he has a lot of days when he is incredibly smart, and because of the inverse relationship, yeah incredibly without compassion uh he is just void of compassion void of caring about individuals or their pain i think the best example is in oathbringer when he orders the entire like children's choir to just be killed yeah he's just like kill them all they're annoying him and like interrupting his thought process uh by singing pleasant christmas songs yeah whatever you know just carols and he I think has that moment and then the one that is towards the end of Oathbringer it's like interlude five or something just like the one where he has a very near genius day but like yeah I think that's with the choir oh is it yeah Um, okay well because he also maybe at the same time then or right after he insults and belittles Adrotasia. Oh yeah. And yeah. then he catches like he has a moment of almost catching himself. Yeah. Where he's like, Did I just insult Yeah, like my oldest and dearest friend in the entire world. But then he pushes past it. And yeah. then just like ignores it because of the uh, you know, the yeah. lack of He has of compassion. more important things to think about. <laughs> but it, that was interesting that like what he didn't stop on was murdering or ordering the death of a bunch of a children. Bunch of children. <laughs> but he did catch himself a little bit or at least like it at least sparked something yeah, yeah when he insulted uh his oldest and most trusted friend uh so i think that is like that there there's a tiny hint of compassion left on that day yeah but then that means that on the ultimate genius day whatever we want to call it mr t's big day uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has a ability that is so grand and so uh, powerful that he was able to write the diagram yeah and then here's where we get into like some really interesting stuff because we know that cultivation of all of the shards has the most um 
insight or like the most long-term view or ability to like see into the future and see future possibilities. And so this ability of Teravangians to sort of channel that is very interesting and kind of brings us back to that question of did he really see the Night Watcher or is he somehow channeling some power of cultivations? User Bonley on Reddit said this, quote, both are blessings and both are curses. I'm pretty sure the blessing is that he has the capacity to save humanity, whether it's via intelligence or compassion, but also the capacity to doom humanity via the exact same gift, end quote. And I think that that kind of is getting at exactly what you're saying is like, we're not really sure about all the specifics, but that's why it makes me feel like it's more of a cultivation type thing because she is playing the cards closer to her chest. Um, and Although, okay, but like going off of that quote, would cultivation take that risk of potentially dooming humanity, you know? Yes, because... If it is both. Although I guess cultivation probably only cares about defeating odium yeah because like in the cosmere yeah you know scale of things it doesn't really matter what happens on rashar as long as odium is defeated so think of it like this we have had another character vasher who won a fight not by being the best combatant in his own words and own but by using a trick where he got incredibly close made himself vulnerable to a better swordsman and yet when he was close he didn't Mm. try to fight with swords he instead used the trick of of passing his breath and overwhelming his opponent in one sudden burst Mm -hmm. or like our good friend hoyd says you know, waiting as the boulder rolls down the hill. Yeah, and then so giving it a well-timed big... push. Exactly. And that even if that push doesn't move the boulder a lot, it slightly redirects the course. That's cultivation's move, in my opinion. So she has this, we'll call it future sight. I don't, that's not the correct term or like the Brandon term, but yeah. it's described by a couple of characters in a really interesting way. And I think it's going it's the possible to be shown that what Teravangian was able to do on this day is basically understand a little bit better than some of the other characters that we've seen in the Cosmere, like Kelsier, or even like the Lord Ruler, um, who were slivers of infinity and had all the power of Ashard to see the infinite possibilities of the future. Everyone else, Kelsier and the Lord Ruler, they made some changes or they made, but mainly they just got kind of overwhelmed. Um, and Teravangian, because of the hyperintelligence, was able to channel that into the diagram. Mm-hmm. And so basically the diagram is what the shards have more infinite access to. And we see this at the end of Oathbringer when Odium sees it, he immediately like sees it and sees all the connections and is like, you yeah. did this without access to the spiritual realm? This is badass, Teravangian. Like he's a little <laughs> impressed, but he also yeah, he can is. see right past what Teravangian wrote into like the infinite Cosmere as well. But cultivation can do it better. Okay, and here we get into the diagram. But I also wonder if the blessing curse kind of thing also comes in 
with the diagram. Clearly, Teravangian believes that the diagram is what is going to help him save humanity. But like, what if it's the opposite? You know, because he gets so focused on what the diagram says. I wonder, and I think we've already kind of seen that that is actually leading him further away from his goal. You know? Do you mean to say that the moving further away from the goal of saving humanity is like he's he's trying to yeah like i think in the end he is going to fail at whatever he's trying to do and he's going to look back and he's going to see that it's because he was so focused on the outcome of this one intelligent day and we see an oathbringer that He, you know, they keep going back to this text. It's written in a language that he made up that day. We know that it's been translated multiple times. By multiple people, like including Teravangian and Adertasia and other members of the diagram committee. Yeah. And so because they're translating it and it's like fragmented and everyone's trying to like interpret it and figure out what it means that it is like causing problems and that's actually why they are trying to get the death rattles because they're trying to get more information to add to the diagram to like update it because in the end it doesn't matter if you can see into the future in one moment because the next moment the future has changed right each moment the future is becoming different so because he is focusing he's hyper focused on this one moment in time when he was able to see things i think he is kind of blinding himself to anything that may be happening in the present that may be changing that that would affect the actions that he's taking And this kind of brings me back to what the user said from Reddit, Um, you know, the concept that he has this possibility, capacity to doom humankind, I think is because of, like you said, that hyper focus on the single day and maybe an ignorance or not an appreciation of just being a good king on your good enough days. Yeah. And just like focusing on what's happening right now, you know, and doing what he can to help right now rather than basing everything that he does on this document that's now years and years old. We also know that a recurring quote from multiple different people is you cannot trust anyone who says they can predict the future. Yup. And it's in situations that maybe is not directly in Taravangian's chapters or pages. It's been said to Renarin and other characters, and we just kind of can maybe hint and remember that we believe one of the unmade is filtering slash manipulating the powers that are connected to future site across all of Rashar. Although Teravangian might be the exception to that because of what Odium says about Teravangian creating the diagram without access to fortune. So maybe he's actually outside. Exactly. Maybe we should trust Teravangian. And that's always (laughs) the question. But I think basically if we have cultivation who's making this play, because we have to see like what day happened and then or what Teravangian was like on that day happened and then the outcomes of that day and the decision so like on his super smart ultra genius day he creates the diagram and then he makes all of these decisions 
that we know are leading him to make the ultimate deal with odium Mm -hmm. at the end Mm -hmm. because there is not only is the diagram being translated multiple times not only is it being updated not only are people in the diagram committee disagreeing about the updates and the translations and like what it means and the interpretation like we have the entire we'll talk about this later but graves uh is a member who leaves the diagram to just go do other things and that's where he runs into our good friend moash curse at moash but we're keeping it family friendly the diagram is being updated all the time and it happened after Teravangian's like super great day but then and he says that too he says that he created the diagram on his smartest day but he has never been smart enough to interpret it again so like there's a lot that he is potentially losing in the interpretation because he is not smart enough to understand it and then he has a very dumb day very poor day when he is visited by odium and that's when he makes the deal i think doesn't he it's not like his dumbest day he just says he's like below average intelligence it's not it's like not horrible yeah but it's also not good it's not in a position i mean he's certainly not as smart as he wishes he was to deal with odium i mean i think it's i think it's a fairly bad day like Mm -hmm. on the scale of it because odium comes in and is telling teravangian this meeting was never going to happen when you had any ability to but he no because he also says that he like was trying to be fair and he picked a day that he was not a complete idiot he could have picked a day when teravangian was like drooling and he didn't teravandian's just less than average intelligence i think we're just disagreeing about like matters of degrees but let's just go to the way that odium says it quote now odium said lightly resting a scepter on teravandian's shoulder do you think i will ever meet with you when you are feeling well i do you not realize that i chose this day specifically because of your ailment teravandian do you really think you will ever be able to negotiate with me from a position of power? End quote. Odium is not messing around with Teravangian. He is specifically pointing out that he, Odium, is in a position of power. Teravangian is not. It's not being fair. I mean, he will. He says that he is being fair. I am just contradicting what he says. Is like that's not fair. That's like um, an abusive person being like always like picking on their spouse uh type of thing it's a uh power differential yes a power differential i mean clearly but and he's like accentuating the power differential and he chooses that day and in my opinion we have to believe that cultivation knew that both of those things were going to happen that teravangian was going to have his big genius day And he was going to have the day when he makes the deal with Odium. And that he's supposed to be the level that he's at on both those days. So that all the other events that can happen afterwards. So basically, Teravangian has his diagram day. And then all the events of Way of Kings, including like Gavilar's death, and like all of the events that we see up to Oathbringer, happen because of that diagram day. 
and then the deal with Odium happens, and now everything after. I feel like we're in two different chunks of the story. And the dividing point- post-Odium. Yeah, and the dividing point is exact, well, pre-deal with Odium, Teravangian's deal. So it's just like, Teravangian made a decision on his super smart day, and we have all of these stories so far, and now he's made another decision on a less than great day. Uh, and we're going to have the consequences of that decision going forward in these next couple of stories. Doesn't he say that he always knew he was like going to have to make a deal with Odium? I believe that that is correct, that it was either it was part of the diagram um, or part of his realization uh, from the diagram is that this was all kind of pointing in one direction. Mm-hmm. So then we should talk about what he and Odium actually agree to which is very interesting. And I think there's already been a lot of speculation on the internet about what this could mean. Teravangian agrees to help Odium by showing him the diagram. And he gives him an honor blade as well. And what Teravangian gets in exchange is that Odium will spare the people of Carbranth when he like destroys all of humanity. So everyone else is like gonna die. But the people in Carbranth, I think... It's and their spouses will be spared. Which overall seems like a pretty lame deal. But remember what we said back in the beginning, like Teravangian is an ultimate utilitarian. He feels like he got boxed into this corner on his not greatest day, but just by like situation and circumstance, this is the best thing that he can get. And and that's all he's working for is like the best result he can possibly hope to achieve and this is what he thinks is the best result so that's what he's going to go with and like we said at the beginning he's not he's not looking to save all of humanity in the sense that he wants to save every person that currently resides on Rashar. he wants to save a seed of humanity so that the species will continue and Which so he this gets deal, out yeah of, exactly yeah. like this deal as long gets as him one to his city goal. survives yeah it's just lame but it's like overall it's a terrible deal for humanity uh because let's be honest if we had like all of earth and you made a deal to save pick a city wherever you are whether that is new york city or the middle of nowhere like it doesn't matter just pick that city and be like that's the one that survives that's not as interesting anymore you know that's like humanity does survive like technically teravangian gets what he wants but overall you lost humanity and you just saved a couple of these like you know monkeys without hair (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's like it's you don't have humanity anymore you don't have society you don't have the internet you don't have spaceships you don't have anything that is like cool music or worthwhile you're still starting over from scratch yeah and it's just like a i get the idea of just like this is the best deal that he could make uh but i also don't need to be happy with it like it's a it's a lame deal teravangian go the dalinar way is my um obviously yeah it does seem like a letdown where you're like really dude you're gonna take that deal but of course I don't think he is. I think that... Oh, you think he's going to double-cross Odium? I think that Teravangian... I don't think that's possible. No, I don't... Okay, so I don't think he's doing it on purpose or even doing it consciously. But I think Teravangian is the cultivation shadow piece, if that's what we want to call him, that is like an unwitting or unknowing double agent that 
she has sent a she has sent Teravangian like a Trojan horse into Odium's grasp, into his camp, now into his inner circle, where Odium is making deals with Teravangian because get this. All that time where they had translated and spent years and years and years and killed people and all this terrible stuff about the diagram, they didn't even have the whole one. Just hidden behind a little baseboard or something, unbeknownst to them, unseen because of Cultivation's work, there was a quote that Teravangian uses to convince Odium to make this deal when he is not at his best. Like, he doesn't have the ability to speak to Odium. He literally looks at the wall and was like, oh, look, there's something we've never seen before, glowing in golden letters as if beaming from the spiritual realm. You have these words that all Teravangian has to do is read, and by reading those words, he convinces Odium to make this deal. So in my mind, this is the deception that Cultivation has put forward, is that Teravangian is a Trojan horse of sorts. Or is that secret message from Odium? Oh, but then it's used to trick Odium. Why would Odium, like, not know the trick? Because it's not actually a trick. It's just, like, Odium kind of manipulated or put forward those words um, instead of cultivation. And so, like, Teravangian thinks he's doing the right thing. He's like, oh, my God, I've found these words. And Odium's really just like, no, I'm That's exactly what I wanted you to say. Yeah, exactly. And then he takes the deal because that's what he wanted. Exactly. I mean, that would be an super awesome deception move by odium or it's a super awesome deception move by cultivation which shard do you come down with here so okay so the quote that he reads in this moment of uh realization is quote you have agreed to a battle of champions you must withdraw to prevent this contest from occurring and so must not meet with dalinar colin again Otherwise, he can force you to fight. This means you must let your agents do your work. You need me. End quote. Which is, to me, sounds like a power move. I mean, it does seem to be true, but... Yeah, a lot like, of things seem to be true. And yeah. then Brandon messes with us hardcore. <laughs> so, like, plus, I respect your healthy cynicism. Plus, we have a podcast to keep up and need to, <laughs> need to be disagreeing on some things. Plus, like, if he didn't read those words... Would Teravangian have committed himself to being on Odium's team? I don't you know, know what I mean. Yeah, of course. Like it just seems suspicious that this particular quote gives Odium an agent to work for him. Like so convenient. You know what I mean? So I think that's really just like where do you come down on? Is this the work of Odium to get what he wants, and he's manipulating Teravangian, or? Is it the work of cultivation? Who's manipulating Teravangian to get what she yeah. wants? I mean, because I guess to play devil's advocate to my own theory. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there... I was doing a good job, but you can also play it yourself. <laughs> there are so many options. I guess it doesn't really make sense if you think that Odium specifically comes to Teravangian because he can't see the diagram by himself. So if he can't even see it, how would he change it? Plus... Part of the diagram, the part that talks about Renarin, is is still hidden from him. So I guess then it doesn't really make sense that he would be like hacking the diagram to get Teravangian to do something. I suppose there is the possibility that it's the work of the unmade Molak, who 
you know, can adjust or somehow filter somehow, like we talked about earlier, manipulate future sight or foresight. Well, he grants future sight. And then we just speculate that because everyone is so wary of future sight that there may be something either corrupting that power or Moloch himself is not maybe giving the whole picture when he does grant future sight. I obviously have no idea. Brandon, hit us up in the comments if you <laughs> yeah, would like. Brandon, just tell us everything. You can find us at Cosmere Conversation on Twitter or Reddit or Facebook. We're everywhere. The interesting thing is I think there has got to be some ultimate motivation for the fear around foresight oh, and the diagram and Teravangian's role and like how is he the shadow piece of cultivation as we've been talking about uh or is there something else going on but i believe like all those things are connected and will be something we see of and see the future of in the next couple of books to go back to the faults kind of of the diagram there are different groups that have at one point been a part of like the main diagram group and then have disagreed about certain interpretations that are being taken of the text and have broken away with like their own uh creed essentially kind of like the breaking up of christianity where people were like nah i don't think that's how it is we're gonna go do our thing over here um and teravangian actually says that he's like cool with that he's like all right i mean as long as one of us is correct like it's all good but he thinks he's correct obviously um and i think it's also something that's mentioned in the diagram and that's why he's cool with it mm, yeah like, i think you're right groups will break off yeah and he's just then that's all it's very short or like you know just a single passage but he's just like okay yeah. And one of those groups is led by Graves, who we meet as an Alethi shard bearer. And his different interpretation is that rather than killing Dalinar, they need to ally themselves with Dalinar to make him the king of Alethkar, um, which obviously leads them to try to assassinate Elokar. And so we have this Graves subplot or sub division of the diagram but this comes up and this might not be something everybody realizes but like graves is the one that recruits moash and tries to recruit kaladin in the elicar assassination he's from the diagram and i don't know if he ever spells it out it's it's mentioned yeah, in it's, a flashback of Teravangians or like uh, it's connected through Teravangian that Graves is the person who left. Yeah. But then we don't you have to make that connection on your own. So if you never made that connection, uh, this is just BT dubs like Graves is of the diagram and he is the one who tries to have Elikar assassinated so that Dalinar can ascend to the king of Alethkar, which is kind of the position he's in by Oathbringer. Mm -hmm. And that's also the position that Teravangian now comes to agree with because he's like, okay, if Dalinar is the king of Alethkar and I'm the king of Yaakoved, then Dalinar goes and I can rise to uh, that power now. So like basically he went from we should assassinate Dalinar 
and now is like, eh, well. But he spends all of Oathbringer trying to undermine Dalinar's authority. Because he is already in the position of power as yeah, high but king. he is still trying to get rid of Dalinar because he believes that Teravangian needs to be in charge and not Dalinar. Because Dalinar is the high king at that point, or at least is in all but actual name, and that is the position that Teravangian ultimately wants. He, wa- he wants to become king of everything, right? Yeah. That's what the, the diagram puts forward. Yeah. And so he made his move to become king of Yaakoved. Nice work, Teravangian. Uh, but he's also now admitting that the diagram was wrong and that basically Graves was right. He doesn't say that, but this is the conclusion that he came to. Because I don't remember that. It's the idea that has to be true because of his actions. Dalinar is the high king. That's what Graves wanted to happen, to be king of LF. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, oh, that's like I'm just trying to like make those key connection points. He th- he now thinks that that was the correct interpretation because it happened. Oh my gosh, there's so much like stupid logic around yeah, this he diagram. He just twists it, right? Yeah, he, ju- he just like oh that was well. You know, the diagram has to be right. Yes. So the events that happened that's must what I'm be trying what to the say. diagram was saying, and that's what I'm trying <sighs> to say. He is always just twisting his own logic. It's not that Teravangian comes out and says, "Oh, Graves was right." He says, "I was always right, and right. this is the way it was always." <laughs> Is going to be because and the diagram like, is always too stupid right. to realize exactly that. and so like this is the fun slash terrible aspect of the diagram but it, it sends your mind into loops and reels and you just go yeah. over and over different things and you're like oh my god if he's right that he was too dumb to figure out that dalinar was actually supposed to do this then graves was actually right, right and he actually should have done the thing back like you go down this rabbit yeah. hole of complete craziness it's just like the most intense form of confirmation bias <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great way to say it. Like Teravenge, we've talked about how other characters have like alcoholism or post-traumatic stress disorder or multiple personality and Teravangian <laughs> intense confirmation bias. I think that Graves is a great example of how much we don't know about the diagram. And just like the fallibility, the fallibility. of the diagram. Yeah, 100%. So the most interesting thing now is, that, of course, this is still being connected back, looped back in. The diagram always just be looping because Graves recruits Moash, who fails to recruit Kaladin. And in return, Kaladin swears his third ideal, leveling up at the end of Words of Radiance. Moash becomes a slave. Graves dies. The deal that Teravangian and makes with Odium at the end of Oathbringer includes giving Odium Yezerin's honor blade. And then Brooke, what does Odium then go do with that honor blade? Gives it to the fused who give it to Moash. So now Moash, who we could say is the heir apparent to Graves sub yeah, division subdivision. of the uh, of the diagram committee. Uh the <laughs> Moash now has the full power of a honor blade and is basically working for Odium slash the fused. Yeah. Was that part of the diagram, T? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you tell me, man. <laughs> but uh, we have all of these different connections. And I think when we start to break down the actual words of the diagram, we're going to find even more little hints and messages uh, about maybe 
this yeah. plot, maybe other plots it around the Cosmere. Very clear how easy it is to like interpret these things in a bunch of different ways. Let's dive into some of those other quotes from the diagram. Let's go first to the West Wall Psalm of Wonders. <laughs> I love the titles that they give these. They're the best. They're so good. This is paragraph eight in the West Wall <laughs> Psalm of Wonders. But I think is important to keep in mind what we just said about connections to the larger Cosmere plot. And, and variations in interpretation. Quote, but who is the wanderer, the wild piece, the one who makes no sense? I glimpse at his implications, and the world opens to me. I shy back. Impossible. Is it? End quote. Note by Adertasia. Could this refer to Mraes? So, Brooke, what did you mean by misinterpretation or open to interpretation? Well, I think clearly, as we all know here, us world singers, this obviously is referring to wit. And yet, Adertasia believes that it is someone that she may recognize as important and a world hopper or, you know, something weird about Marais. Right. Uh, where it's just like he's given off that vibe. It, but it's just like that's the only thing that she can comprehend because it's the only thing that she's had contact with. Exactly. The and only yet, perspective like, she can imagine is yes! Marais. But we know as outsiders and amazing world hoppers that, I mean, I guess we don't know, but I think we can basically say that this is Hoyd. Because the wanderer, he has yeah. also been referred to as the traveler. That sounds yep, pretty close. Exactly. And like of anyone, the perfect description for Hoyd is the one who makes no sense. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he is the one who makes no sense. I mean, we've talked about this in our Hoyd episodes, but we've even flirted with the possibility or the theory that Hoyd is a character that breaks the fourth wall uh, and kind of exists in I a think meta- that, Yeah, I think- I think that actually is completely true because of something I read that Brandon said about Hoyd recently. There is maybe one day we'll do like a fifth episode just on Hoyd, uh, but just to update <laughs> the information that we get all the time, you know, our past episodes are slightly out of date and I like wonder, speculation can now be turned into fact. Like a whole episode on like best words of brandon or something yes yes we should okay uh be, okay so we have the idea of one and what sinks it for me that it's hoid is when teravangian the author of this Westwall psalm of wonders paragraph eight is him saying i glimpse at his implications now if we think hoid's implications and the world opens to me i shy back impossible like, Hoyd yeah. is the one that is so interconnected in the Cosmere that even glimpsing at his... Like, implications of his existence. Yes. Like, breaks everything. It's just... Basically. I mean, this is someone who... He's in the midst of writing the diagram when he writes this uh, paragraph. So, this is someone who is not shying back from, like, a mental download of the spiritual realm, just, like, tapping into, not fortune, but, like, future sight and seeing, as we think cultivation does, um, and able to translate that. And yet, 
then he looks at Hoyd in this way and it makes him shy back and pull away just from the because possibility. Because I think, I think too here, we suspect that Hoyd is moving through time in some way in addition mm-hmm. to moving through space, in addition to moving through the cognitive realm. So he is like sort of metaphysically tied up in all of these really complicated, convoluted, intense things that, yeah, if you were to like look at that kind of web of Hoyd's existence, it would be brain breaking. Even for Teravangian on his best day. Exactly. So that is the thing. I don't think Moray's breaks genius Teravangian's brain. Yeah. It's just like, that's a world hopper. We get it. <laughs> Hoyd breaks all of our brains. So <laughs> that makes sense. Love that quote. It was it was a little bit reminding me of the kind of metaphysical existence of Hoyd and just like, oh man, he's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> the next quote that we have is a long string of numbers that the diagram is able to translate into um, a sentence or sentences that say, quote, hold the secret that broke the night's radiant. You may need it to destroy the new orders when they return, end quote. So we know that he uses this knowledge in Oathbringer, um, But I think that it's a great reminder that this particular faction, the diagram, is interested in destroying the Knights Radiant. Their goals are not aligned. They are opposed. And for whatever reason, Teravangian creating the diagram felt that the Knights Radiant were detrimental to humanity's survival. Now, either A, that could be because Knights Radiant summon the yeah i think and this is where it gets a little bit complicated i think in oathbringer is that we start to discover all of these different factions and they all have like slightly different views on history and current events so you know the diagram thinks that if the knights radiant come back then that will bring the void bringers back but the group that is it amaram I believe so. Is working for, they want to bring the Voidbringers back because they believe that if the Voidbringers come back, then the Knights Radiant will come back and the Heralds will come back yeah. and like everything will be great. It's like and, a chicken or egg scenario Yeah, type thing, exactly. Which is, you know, just exactly what we found out with uh, the existence of humans on Rashar. It's mm-hmm. like we keep diving further back into their history until eventually you realize, oh, wait, they were a you species. Here first. Yeah, a species yeah. coming from another world uh as like refugees so they had some type of either you know odium inspired shard power to allow them to travel or you know i don't hate the idea of they already were a kind of spacefaring civilization and fell backwards into development I when they came to that Rishar. that's just throwing that out there yeah i would love that if they were like a super advanced civilization that then encountered some kind of terrible event fled their planet and then like were reduced to picking up the pieces i guess kind of like they are now in theory like we were talking about teravangian's carbronth like being the new seed of humanity oh my gosh it's like inception yeah it's a seed within a seed seed. inside a seed (laughs) very fractal (laughs) nature of the existence going on here in the cosmere 
I think that another quote that I love uh, is from Floorboard 17. Quote, Ah, but they were left behind. It is obvious from the nature of the bond. But where, 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 where? Set off. Obvious. Realization like apricity. They are with the shin. We must find one. To use a truthless, can we craft a weapon? End quote. So the setup, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but to not only use a truthless, but also maybe um, influence the creation of uh, the truthless. And so the diagram sets up the creation, possibly, or at least the use of Zeth as the assassin in white, giving us the entire plot uh, since Gavilar's death. Well, and it's speculated that this is about the honor blades. I mm-hmm. think that's a pretty like broad theory, broadly yeah. accepted theory. Um, so I wonder if there is something in this that Teravangian is like trying to get all of the honor blades in some way out of this. Because I think I also read that Zeth receives an honor blade like when he leaves as a truthless. And that is a unusual thing to happen to a truthless, but something about the circumstances under which he was declared truthless and like his former place in Shin society, they kind of made this concession in giving him the honor blade. So that makes me wonder if Teravangian had something to, to do, do with, with the that concession. exactly nice. to create this weapon. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, obviously the honor blades themselves are weapons, but the power to wield an honor blade, as Zeth taught Lift at the end of Oathbringer, you have the gift, but none of the skill. I have more skill as a edge dancer because I've used the blade that made me an edge dancer. And, and we trained assume, and like exactly. practiced a long time. And so uh, Zeth is not only like could Teravangian get the weapon itself, but get the, yeah, the I mean, means I to think, use that weapon. I don't think when it says, can we craft a weapon? I don't think it's talking about the honor blades. I think the weapon is Zeth. Next quote is also super interesting. And this is, I believe, also on floorboard 17. It's a good floorboard, that one. Really, uh, <laughs> really doing well on that floorboard. <laughs> he was in a good flow state. <laughs> quote, there has to be an answer. What is the answer? Stop. The Parshendi. One of them. Yes, they are the missing piece. Push for the Alethi to destroy them outright before this one obtains their power. It will form a bridge. End quote. Now, bridges, having a tiny bit of significance in the Stormlight Archive, seems to jump out. Now, yeah. a couple, like, we have, what's the, what's the answer? So he's asking a question. And then... His answer is the Parshendi. We, do we assume this is Eshenai who summons the um, the evil Spren, mm-hmm. the Spren of Odium and the Storm? Uh, I kind of think... Or... Well, no, you say. Is it her sister? Yeah, Venli? Is it Venli, who is responsible for the actual discovery yeah. of the Storm Spren? Um, and is, of course, still alive to have uh, yeah. more at play. And we believe... But she repents. Exactly. She doesn't... She but doesn't... maybe... Okay, but maybe this is talking about Venli 
Yes. Bonding a yes. spren. That's what I the think. The little spren that she bonds. That's what I think. I don't think the uh, bridge is... It's about trying to keep the Parshendi from the spren, not the fused coming back. Yeah, I don't think it's so much a idea of like the bridge. Maybe it could be saying that the... Because it says push for the Alethi to destroy them outright. Uh, and that is like clearly what Sadius did pushing Dalinar further and further mm-hmm. to destroy them outright. Or, okay, but maybe it's just talking about what we already know, which is that they say these words of power and then there's like a bridge that is made that brings the fused back, you know? It could like be maybe that. this is actually already that's where done. I was leading we can to. just like that's, cross it off. Yeah. And oh, 100%. that's boring. Exactly. <laughs> that Darn is it. No, we already got this one. <laughs> but no, I, I like the idea that it's not, I think that's the simple answer. That's like one way to read it. And it could be correct because it will form a bridge. It brings the fused across. Yeah. yeah okay. So that and makes then, sense. Like, we're up to date. Yeah, yeah exactly. However, I feel like it also could be, and the idea of forming a bridge, not in a bad way, but in a good way, and mm. that is Venli bonding yeah. with her, is it a light spren that we believe she's bonded to? Yeah. Okay, something that I just realized or thought about is that by the end of Oathbringer, we have Venli who has bonded a spren or like you know, is using what we typically think of as human magic. The power of the radiance. Yeah. And then we have Moash, who is a human, who has bonded like Voidbringer Parshendi magic. So these two characters are like blending these two different groups that we have thought of as separate and in their own way. Like they're each sort of a bridge in between worlds-ish. Well, and... I think that there is at least you saying that got me really excited because who started as like the bridgeman? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was like. I just I wanted this quote to like be part of the bridgeman because when I read it, I was just like bridge, bridge. Like you just you always hear it in connection to the bridgeman, and so I felt like it was like a dog whistle to my brain. And that's what we are seeing with Kaladin's story too is that he is struggling under the realization that these things aren't that separate. Yeah. That all these people are connected and that they're all people he should be trying to save. And that's the struggle he's having. And so as former Bridgman and Moash as former Bridgman, I like the idea that, you know. Yeah. The like dissolution of easy dividing lines. If that's not a way to end, I don't know what is. What do you guys think out in the interwebs? Do you think that this is talking about a fact that we kind of already know, just the summoning of the Voidbringers? Or a new thing to come. You can follow us and find us on Reddit or Facebook or Twitter or anywhere we exist in the universe. (laughs) Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination.
Y'all ready for this? That's the intro to the podcast. I don't know why we would ever do anything different. So basically, I am a failure at desk arrangement. That's what we have discovered. But we are also going to discover many other things today about Mr. T. Dr. T. Okay. T-Pain. OG T-Pain of the Cosmere. And as always, I love T-Pain. I love all T-Pains. Hold on. This is actually a good podcast material. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> <laughs>